Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to John. I'm reading from the last verses of chapter 15, and then a middle section from chapter 16. So we keep listening and longing for God's Spirit to speak to us. The Word of the Lord. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, Jesus says, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they did not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but... You cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, because He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. For this reason, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Recently, I got a telephone call from a friend of mine who is a pastor um, a couple of hours away from here in this state of Virginia. The friend told me that one of his church members was in a hospital in Richmond, and he asked me if I would go see this person. We'll call him Mr. Smith. Could I go check on him? Could I make a pastoral visit on his behalf? I told him I thought I could do that, so I went to the hospital when I was out making some rounds, and I went into this room where the patient was. There were two beds in the room, and I only knew this patient's name as Mr. Smith, nothing else. So I went into the room, and I approached the man in the first bed. He looked like he had just waken up from a nap. He was sitting there in his hospital bed, and it was a bit elevated, and he was in his a hospital gown, and I went close to where he was so that he could see me, and I said, excuse me, sir, are you Mr. Smith? He didn't change his gaze. He didn't look at me. He just stared straight ahead. So I got down a little closer and a little bit louder voice, and with increasing pastoral care here, <laughs> I said, hello, are you Mr. Smith? He looked straight ahead, and he said, Does he owe you any money? <laughs> I assured him that he did not. I said, My name is Alec Evans. I'm the pastor of Second Presbyterian Church in downtown Richmond, and I'm coming to see Mr. Smith on behalf of his pastor. He said, That would be me. I'm glad to know you. 
I don't think I'm going to ever forget that little conversation. who I was and I introduced him, uh, introduced myself again and uh, we had a nice uh, conversation. Uh, perhaps it was in jest, but also with a, some definite truth. He wanted me to clarify my identity before he was willing to talk to me. We did have a nice conversation. We had a prayer. We thank God for the connectional church and God's abiding love that brings us together. We also prayed for God's peace and presence, spiritual presence for Him in that room. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and it is a good day to be together. We celebrate, as Ginger says, the birthday of the church, the coming of the Spirit. We have red colors, we have new banners, we have anthems, we have uh, hymns all about the Spirit We are rejoicing this day, and we have this sermon from Jesus, Jesus' Spirit Sermon, and these words from Jesus want to clarify for us the identity of the Spirit. Just who is the Spirit? Just what is the Spirit about? And just how might we experience the Spirit that God sends to us? That's our focus. So already back in John 14, Jesus started talking about leaving his disciples. He's going away, he said. He wanted them to understand he, Jesus, would not always be with them, the disciples. He wouldn't be there to walk with them. He wouldn't be there to heal alongside them, to help them as they lived out this calling that was now theirs. And his disciples were showing now some increasing concern. They couldn't imagine life without Jesus next to them. How could they get along without the magnanimous Jesus in their midst? Everything had changed since he had come on the scene. So this was a burning question in their hearts. So in chapter 14, Jesus says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I'm not going to leave you desolate. I will come to you. And the counselor, the advocate, the paraclete, which is the Greek word, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, he will teach you many things. Then at the end of chapter 15, which I just read, he mentions the Holy Spirit again in this unfolding spirit sermon. He says the advocate whom Jesus will send from the Father will testify on Jesus' behalf. And he will help the disciples testify on Jesus' behalf. And then in chapter 16, which I read, it gets even more elaborate. All of this is Jesus' spirit sermon. This is what he says. I'm going now to him who sent me. See, Jesus came from God. We read about that in John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now Jesus is returning to God, he says. Jesus uh, says, because I've said these things to you, that Jesus was going away, sorrow has filled your hearts. 
He's empathizing with them, understanding. In fact, a better translation is probably depression fills their hearts. Since Jesus is talking about going away, he sensed the disciples' countenance falling. Depression fills their hearts. Many of us know about depression. Then he continues, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him. Now, how does a going lead to a coming? What the disciples know, and what we all know, is that when someone departs from us, there is less of that person's presence with us. When a friend moves away, when a child leaves home, when a love falls apart, when a parent dies, we have to adjust and we have to find life again. These departures, though sometimes difficult, are pretty much expected as we move through life. We make new friends, we find new loves. We realize this is how life often works. But then there are other departures, like when a child dies or a dear loved one leaves unexpectedly or someone is literally snatched from our midst. In these situations, there is a huge void, desperate longing in our hearts, Those departures leave us so grief-filled, we may never actually be the same after them. We all know about difficult departures. The disciples are facing a difficult departure, Jesus has told them. So how does Jesus going become a coming? Well, in Jesus' spirit sermon... He says his departure will mean not less of him, but actually surprising more of him. Could something actually be better than the bodily presence of Jesus? Jesus says so. Yes. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away so that the advocate, the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit can come. This is what Jesus says in this spirit sermon. When the spirit comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness. Or, as one translation puts it, he will show how wrong the world is about what is wrong and about what is right and about who won. Up until now, Jesus has been preaching and teaching and healing and pointing to the kingdom. But when the spirit comes, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper... The paraclete will see everything even more clearly. In that sense, this would bring more sense of Jesus' presence, more of Jesus' light, more of Jesus' love. The Spirit will show what is wrong with the world and about who wins. The Spirit will guide you in all truth, Jesus says. The Spirit will be truly and all the time constant abiding helper and counselor to our lives and to our city and to our world. 
The Spirit will enable us to live in the world, he says, with even more sense of Jesus' presence and more strength for God's purposes. That's the promise. This week, this week I was at the corner of Belvedere and Broad, and I'd stopped at one of those gas stations on that corner to fill up my tank of gas in my car. As I pumped gas into my car, I noticed on every single one of those corners, there was at least one person, and sometimes more, holding up a cardboard sign asking for handout. Hungry. Help. Some spare change to change my life, or something like that, on the card. Clearly, there is much wrong with the world. We could all come up with our lists of what is wrong with the world these days. The brokenness of our hearts. The disappointments of our particular lives. The disparity between rich and poor that keeps growing. The crime and the killing that dominate our news. The divisions among us. The injustices that keep happening under the auspices of justice. We can all come up with our lists of what's wrong. And our lists would not be wrong. But in light of Jesus' comments about the Holy Spirit coming, our usual and our predictable lists would not go far enough or deep enough. The power and the presence of Jesus the ability to see with Jesus' eyes and think with Jesus' heart, the full sense of Jesus in and through and over and under and around all things in the presence of the Spirit, that would change how we think about what is wrong, how we think about what is right, and about who wins. That sense of God's Spirit would touch us and transform us and move us to new places of being and acting and serving. That's what Jesus' Spirit sermon says in the Gospel of John. He has to depart so the Spirit, the Advocate, the Helper, the Counselor, the Paraclete can come and work in, around, and through all things. It will be even better than having Jesus' bodily presence alongside us. That's the promise. When I was in the seventh grade, as some of you know, I attended Chandler Junior High School, which is on Brooklyn Park Boulevard in the north side of Richmond. Seventh grade is usually pretty traumatic for most of us. There are lots of biological and psychological shifts taking place in our hearts and in our lives when we are in the seventh grade, usually. Seventh graders are notoriously harsh toward one another as kids are making this transition from childhood to adolescence. Moreover, I was one of the shortest students in my class, and I had light and ruddy skin and red hair, and I was enrolled in the seventh grade where students who looked similar to me 
with my skin color were in the extreme minority. Ninety percent of the students at Chandler Junior High in my seventh grade year were African American. So every single day, I went to school afraid, with fear and trembling every day. I would walk the hallways afraid that somebody was going to push me into the lockers, and that obviously would be somebody lots bigger than me. I would sit in class worried that I would be called on, and I would have to speak, and then I would get teased for saying something stupid. I knew that when I did my homework, many others who did not do their homework would force me to share my answers and then get the same credit. I knew that I would have to give away, because of intimidation, most or all of my lunch when we all went to the cafeteria for the lunch period. Lunch period was the hardest part of every day. And I had to spend lots of energy hiding or doing something else so that I wouldn't have to give away my bus ticket to get home because that was my ride home. Every day somebody would ask me, do you have a bus ticket because I want it. This anxiety and tension and uncertainty and fear dominated my seventh grade life. I have no regrets about it. I learned lots about life and what's important during my seventh grade year. But it was difficult. I share all of this today about my seventh grade experience because I think it's an image of how many of us often live every day. In fear instead of faith with anxiety dominating us instead of assurance, walking cautiously and with hesitation and slinking off to the side, just barely getting through, worried about this, worried about that, instead of living with confidence and joy. This is also how our politicians tend to be governing This is also how our culture keeps trying to distract us from what's important. Under our nice clothes and our going-to-work life, we all have issues that we're trying to keep at bay. Issues that beat us down. Issues that keep us awake at night. Keep us fretting and frowning behind the smiles with which we greet each other on Sunday morning. It's easy to feel worn out. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, He will guide you in all truth. When the Spirit comes, you will realize that the things of the world do not win. When the Spirit comes, you'll realize that the ways of evil and persecution and death do not hold the day. When the Spirit comes, it's not depression, it's joy. It's not loss, it's life. And it's all from God. That's what carries the day, the Spirit. So here's the truth. 
it's possible to either sustain or strengthen this sense of God's Spirit or to quench it. It's possible to nurture this sense of God's presence or to be unaffected by it. It's warmed and becomes present as we practice acts of loving God and loving neighbor. That's the central essence of the Christian life. Loving God and loving others, and you'll sense the power of God's Spirit right alongside you. The sense of God's Spirit is warmed by prayer and conversations about God and seeking to grow in faith and seeking to ask questions and struggle through doubts and become the people that God calls us to be. We keep striving to be about these things at this church, in community, downtown, in ministry, in classes, in prayer groups, in meetings, in moments around this church so we can serve God in the power of the Spirit in the world. On the other hand, this sense of God's Spirit is quenched by all kinds of distractions from our attention from God and God's works. It's distracted, it's, dis- it's quenched from our excessive anxiety about worldly matters or material goods. It's distracted as we get caught up in the issues, so much so we can't even see God or sense God's presence Discover God's light and love poured upon us. If the spirit is quenched, the Christian life is quenched also. Our calling as a community is to strengthen this sense of God's spirit poured upon us. God's spirit present, active, alive, at work. Our calling is to help each other see, live into Appreciate that presence. Our calling is to find deeper life and deeper faith as a community of God's people here and to the ends of the earth. One theologian put it like this, perhaps the greatest sin, the greatest failing in our lives is not something we've done. It's probably also not something we didn't do that we should have done. Perhaps the greatest sin in our lives is that we forget. We forget who we belong to. We forget the power of God's Spirit that is always alongside us. We forget whose we are and who's with us. The advocate, the helper, the counselor, the paraclete. Jesus promises you're not alone. Paraclete literally means, in Greek, the one alongside, the one who has come beside us. Jesus' spirit sermon wants us to know, never are we alone. The spirit is alongside us, always. We are never on our own. We have a with us God, a beside us God, and alongside us, Partner, counselor, helper. That should change how we see everything. That should change how we do everything. We live not in fear, but in faith. 
Not anxious and perplexed about many things, but confident and generous. Not wandering in the wilderness or walking the halls of our life, worried about who's going to smash us into the wall. We live in God's powerful spirit. May the flames, the tongue, the presence of God's spirit so touch us and transform us that we can be the people God makes us to be. Because God is alongside us forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Bless us, O God, with the power of your Spirit. And bless us with a very fresh sense of your presence. And we will blossom in faith and discipleship, following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.